Hello and welcome to another edition of the Gunshot. My name is Grant Gunn and I'm joined with the cooler sibling, writer at Mavs Moneyball, Lauren. How's it going? Things are good. Things are good. Things are busy. Uh, but, you know, just day by day, taking it day by day, but ready to talk some hoops as always. Absolutely. Uh, life is a little busy for us this time of year, both in the public accounting world, uh, but it's nice to talk hoops, just like you said. So, Last time we talked a little bit about uh, Luca and the Dallas Mavericks, kind of his career path and, and what this um, trajectory should look like. Um, we talked about Giannis and Devin Booker, how those guys might be good or, or even bad comparisons for Luca, both having reached the finals in their eighth NBA season. Uh, I think we kind of settled on them maybe not being the best comparisons, but I think another guy we, we thought about was LeBron James. Uh, we didn't talk about him too much, so I want to do that now. Another guy, 19 years old, right out of the gate, joined the league. It was a 20-point-per-game score. Um, obviously different eras, Lauren, so we can talk about that. But he, he made his first NBA Finals in his fourth season. He was 22. Luca also just turned 22. Um, again, I, I don't know if this is the best comparison, but let's have that conversation. So, Lauren, when you, when you look at Luca, you look at LeBron's career, obviously up to this point, do you think this is a good or bad trajectory for Luca? It's it's so hard to say because there are so many layers to this question. And like we're talking about what some people think, what I will say, not me, what some people think is the greatest basketball player of all time in LeBron James. And the fact that we're even comparing Luca to him is absolutely unreal. Uh, but the reason that I like the conversation is because LeBron from the very beginning has been so dominant and then throughout his career we've been able to see him like just be able to play multiple positions I mean he was always kind of just this dominant super athletic guy which Luca is not the super athletic guy but just this big guy that can just take over a game and that's similar to Luca. and granted as LeBron's career has gone on and we've gotten more and more into this era of quote-unquote positionless basketball they, I mean, Luca is stepping in at that time, right in this era. And so he's kind of taking on that same thing. Not that it was as defined, or it was probably more defined back at the beginning of LeBron's career. But I do think it's worthy of having the conversation because size-wise, like you said, both entering at 19 years old, um, primarily scores, but also doing a good job of involving their teammates and also having making their presence known on the glass. Like, this is a good comparison to talk about. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's probably the best comparison that we can have or, or can make. Um, and you talked about the different eras and, and styles. I think the biggest knock on LeBron at, at that age, those early Cleveland Cavs teams, was that he just had no help. And yeah, I don't want to sit here and say Luka has had no help. Obviously, Porzingis was a huge piece that was brought in, but they turned around and traded him away. Um, so that didn't necessarily work out. Um, so so I don't want to say, like I said, I don't want to say Luka has no help, but I think the the thing that's held him back is he hasn't had a true number two since he joined the league. And so I think when you look at these two guys, it's very easy to look at LeBron and look at Luca and say, yeah, I see a lot of similarities there. Um, looking at the Cavs 2006, 2007 roster, this was the fine. This is the roster that LeBron took to the finals. Um, the second leading scorer during the season was Larry Hughes. He scored 15 points a game through Gooden, and Zildrunas Ilzowskis for the next two leading scorers, uh, along with Anderson Varejao and Eric Snow. But those last two didn't even score more than seven points a game. So play, playoffs ended up looking roughly the same, but everybody kind of took a step back. Um, Larry Hughes went from 15 points per game in the regular season to 12, or excuse me, 11 in the playoffs. Um, and so it just got a little tougher for everybody else not named LeBron James. And so you've seen a lot of that with Luca when you look at his playoff stats. Like obviously he he hasn't advanced past the first round, and this was LeBron's second year in the playoffs. Um, so I, from that aspect, you look at okay, Luca Luca has now going into his fourth year. Will have had three of those years in the playoffs. Is that right, or is he in his fifth year now? He is in his fourth year now. Okay, so. Is it, and this will be his third playoffs in four years. See, that, right. seems, that seems crazy to me. Um, from that aspect, you look at how quick the Mavs were able to kind of rebuild and put themselves back into contention. Um, from that aspect, it kind of favors Luka, and you think he kind of turned things around quicker. Um, but I don't know that he's going to make 
his first NBA finals this year. Um, I, a lot of people have said that's on the table. And I think there's a very small possibility, a small world where that happens. Um, but I, I don't think anyone would be expecting that by any means. So it's just, I mean, again, different eras. So how, how can you compare the super team era that we live in now um, to the LeBron era back then? Um, but you look at these two guys and how polarizing they are and everything that surrounds um, them. Everything they do is so heavily scrutinized. Um, I think it's definitely an interesting comparison. Lauren, do you have any other thoughts or, or things to add to this? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough because you really are, like, the eras are so different in so many ways. And it, it gets to a point where there are too many variables. Like, you and I, I think, are both in agreement that this year is Luca going to make the finals? Probably not. Like, there's a, like you said, very small chance of that happening. And to me, that's not a knock against when comparing Luca against LeBron, because you're dealing with completely different eras. Like I'm looking at the, the unfortunately it's the division standings, but of the, the year that LeBron made uh, the finals and the best team in the league was the Indiana Pacers led by Reggie Miller. And you're looking around the league, like you don't, the talent is pretty in terms of uh, distribution is pretty widely distributed. Now, obviously, very different era in terms of roster construction, super teams. I know that there's a whole conversation of super teams aren't a new thing. We're not going to get into that right now, but the roster construction and talent distribution to me was completely different then than it is now. And so for Luca to get to the finals, if you're, it's a completely different path. And so I think that people can agree that, that that's a fair assessment. Um, but the number, from a number standpoint, what they were putting up, I don't want to compare numbers and necessarily say this guy is better than this guy, whatever, wherever you stand on that. But it's in terms of the overall impact that they have on the game, very, very similar. I don't want to say Luca's better than LeBron was at this age. I don't think that that's what we're trying to say here. It's just important to say that look at what the impact that these guys are having at, uh, on their teams at certain ages and kind of seeing a guy go through his career it's it's interesting and it's uh notable and, and kind of gives you this um what's the word like benchmark to kind of keep track of Luca and kind of look at where he can improve and how reasonable it is to or like how quickly we can expect that right I think another interesting aspect and this just again goes back to the difference in eras um here's the, here's the minutes per game that LeBron played uh, in his first four seasons, he played in his rookie year, 39 minutes a game, 42 minutes a game, 42 minutes a game, 41 minutes a game. Now he played 79 games, 80 games, 79, 78 games. So he is practically playing all but six to eight minutes a night, every single game for his first, first four career, excuse me, first four years of his career. Grant can't talk. Um, Either. <laughs> so, <laughs> so again, LeBron, his lowest, Lowest minutes played was his rookie year, 39 and a half. Here's Luca's minutes per minutes per game um, starting in his rookie year. 32, 33, 34, 36. And that's this year playing almost 36 minutes a game. Um, 72 games played. And then obviously the games played do get a little skewed because of COVID. Um, having 61, 66, 49 so far for Luca. So uh, maybe the games played isn't the best metric. But you can just see by the minutes played. Um, the errors are, are drastically different. Your star players are not playing nearly every minute of the game. And so that obviously plays a lot into this as well. Um, so I, I think you, you absolutely hit it, hit it on the head. We're not sitting here trying to say Luca is better or worse at, at this point in his career than LeBron. Um, but I think when we're, we're trying to figure out, okay, looking at history, when should Luca make his first finals appearance? I think we're in agreement. It's probably before Giannis and Booker did in eight seasons, but it's probably after LeBron in yeah, four seasons definitely. as well. So um, that that only means that we're entering, and, and obviously we still have the rest of the season to go, and, and shit, maybe Luka gets there. Maybe Luka hits the finals this year, and, and we're all <laughs> like, well, what do we know? Yeah, um, honestly. And if that happens, I guess the only thing we do know is that we know nothing. So exactly. We'll get there when we get there, but the clock is ticking. And we talked about that last week. The clock is ticking for the Mavs and Luca uh, to, to get him there and put a team around him that can make that happen. So all that being said, we'll have our eyes watching as always. So the next thing I think to talk about Lauren, um, 
we, we touched a little bit, I believe, on some things that were going around the NBA last time. Let's revisit uh, the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, there's been a lot of scrutiny around Russ and how poorly this experiment has, I don't want to say has worked because it absolutely hasn't, but but how it's played out so far. The Lakers, um, I don't have the standings in front of me. I'm pulling them up, but I believe they're in ninth in the West. They are ninth, yep. So, I mean, it's just not not going to play out. They'll probably play in a play-in game. They're three games up on the Blazers right now, so I mean, the Blazers could catch them, but the Blazers are not. It's crazy to think about. Holy right, crap. The, the Blazers are not um, in any position to really catch them. I guess the, the Lakers, or excuse me, the Spurs are three and a half games back, but the Blazers have lost five straight. Um, the Spurs are five and five in their last ten, so like they're not on their heels by any means any means the only hope for anybody else to jump the lakers is if the lakers continue to play like they have they're two and eight of their last ten um so lauren let's talk about the lakers and russell westbrook what are your thoughts yeah i mean god this is another thing that like i could probably go on for so long for so i'm gonna do my best to keep it short but like you said it's been a failed experiment and people had their questions from the beginning in terms of basketball fit. It wasn't about locker room personality, leadership, veteran experience. It was all about on the court fit. And as the sample size grew larger with games played, like we all saw, yeah, the fit is not working. Having uh, LeBron play the four or have AD play the five or have Russ, like whatever, however you want to phrase it, it just isn't working. And so as time went on, it's like, okay, all these guys, yeah, they want to win, but they feel like they now is their time and they should win. Like the expectation is that you're, you're winning the entire thing this year. It's not, we're shooting for it. So when you're failing and falling short so quickly and just trickling further and further down the standings, we always talk about like losing brings issues to the surface, like so quickly. And so like almost like violently, like it's, it's just been such a crazy season for the Lakers. And so when you've got poor performance over time and now this pressure is building, you start like maybe comments get said, and I'm not talking about by Russ. I'm just saying in general around this Lakers situation right now, there's just seems to be a lot of negativity and disappointment. And so, I mean, you've got Jeannie bus getting up and leaving in the middle of games and people recording her leaving saying like Jeannie's had enough. And it's just like, there's so much, um, I don't even know the right word. Like there's just so much problem. There are so many problems. It seems like going around in LA right now. So I am not sure what the future holds for them this off season. So I kind of want to pose the question to you. Um, if the Lakers are maybe, maybe willing to revisit, including us, uh, that 2027 first round pick and are able to move off of Russ, um, for it's a two-parter question. Can you see him getting picked up by another team? Uh, and I guess actually part one of this question should be, can you see the Lakers stretch waving Russ? Because I do see some people throwing that idea out there, wondering if they can't, if they're not willing to trade that pick, uh, is that possible? Yeah. So let's talk about that. I think off the top of this pod, you and I were talking, you said that people were mentioning the possibility of stretch waving Russ. Um, and that's obviously assuming that there are no takers for Russ. And that's a very real possibility because of his contract number. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I believe it's north of 40 million. Yeah, north. So the way the stretch wave provision works is that if a team decides to wave and stretch, meaning that they're going to pay out this player over the course of a certain number of years, they don't get to pick how long they want to stretch him. Uh, so I think that's an important thing to know. Obviously, that would impact a lot of different things. Um, the way it works is that if a team waves a player, then the current uh, – oh, excuse me, I'm reading the wrong, the wrong sentence. I want to I get this part right. If a team elects to utilize the stretch provision, the player's remaining protected compensation is stretched over twice the number of years remaining on the contract plus one more year. So I believe next year is the last year of Russ's contract. So you double that. That gets two plus one is one more year. So if you take $40 million, and I'm sure it's more than that, but $40 million divided by three years is a little less than $15 million a year. That would, that would go against the cap of the Lakers. So I don't think that's anywhere a real possibility. I think you would rather stick with Russ and absolutely stuck or come to some sort of agreement where you're, he's just not going to play for that year. Um, and so if, if that's the case, then that, that's a whole other um, 
that's a whole nother scenario. But but there's I don't think there's any real scenario that the the Lakers waive him in in any um, in any type of case, whether it's just outright outright waiving him or stretching him because it just doesn't make sense. That's a huge hit against their cap. Um, so the other the other kind of options are to attach those picks that they were unwilling to kind of look at around the trade deadline, like you mentioned, maybe some of your younger assets um, and move off of rest. That's very, very much on the table. Um, and then the other option is to potentially buy out Russ. And he would have to come to them and say, yes, I'm willing to do this. We both need to move on. And to the point, there are there have been rumors that both Russ and the Lakers are ready to move on after this offseason, which quick sidebar, I think makes it incredibly tough to do anything the rest of this season. Um, how can you how can you put a team on the floor knowing that already people are looking at the offseason like, yep, let's blow this up. I'm out of here. Um, so that's a that's a mess. But back to the back to the option. So if, if they can come to Russ and say, hey, we'd like to pursue a buyout, Russ has to agree to that. He's owed 40 million. And so if he comes to terms on some buyout agreement, then he's going to have to take some portion less than 40 million. And if you're Russ, in what world would you do that? You don't feel like you owe the Lakers any favors. You don't feel like they've necessarily done right by you. Uh, the things that have been been said in the media, uh, I don't think have been super favorable to Russ. Uh, and so by no means do I expect him to take a buyout because um, in, in what world should he? Like, right. yeah. he signed that contract, he, he earned that contract. Yeah. He, he should absolutely collect that money. And it's on the Lakers for, um, for wanting to move off of this as quickly. And again, I don't blame the Lakers. I think when it happened, all of us said that this was a questionable fit. Now, I don't think any of us saw it going this poorly. We probably thought that um, they were easily a playoff team. Um, but I think we all said, I remember talking about this last week, like once you get to the playoffs, there's there's going to be less room on the floor. You can't have guys who can't shoot on the floor in the playoffs because everything's amplified. So um, all, all that back, I don't I don't know what the options are for us. It, it seems to be the only way that this happens is a trade. So Lauren, mm-hmm. I'll bring it back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of possibilities do you think are there trading him? Mean, does it even make sense for other teams to pursue Russ? Um, and I'll let you take it from there. <clears throat> I mean, via trade, absolutely. I I am a firm believer that if you want to move money around or if you need to move money around, and, then, and in this case, if you're the Lakers and you need to move a contract that big, there's always a way to do it. There's always a team that will take on an asset. I don't know how many, how much you're getting, but the Lakers have the most powerful person, not just player, the most powerful person in the NBA on their team. And that's LeBron James, obviously. And so I think they're going to get a little bit of pressure from him saying, hey, you had your time. Like, I need you to do this in February, and you did it. You need to do it now. I don't care about a 2027 first-round pick. We've already given up all of our first-round picks for Anthony Day. I don't care. Get, like, get me my team that I need. And so I do want – I don't know if he's going to do that, do that strong arm. I don't know. I have to imagine there will be a little bit of pressure from him. Uh, but as far as – teams that would trade for him um I can always see OKC doing something to 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 bring in another pick like why not if you're them why not especially if he's going to be on an expiring are you kidding me of course I can see yeah I can see OKC doing that even though it will impact Trey Mann Josh Giddy, Shea their minutes I, if it means for one year, they've got to share the wealth and they can bring in another pick. I, I could absolutely see them doing that. Um, outside of there, I think it does get a little bit tricky, but, but again, I don't think it's impossible that any of that, that money could get matched. I really, really don't. Things can get crazy. So uh, I don't want to say, Oh, I can see this happening with this specific team via trade there. It's just too difficult. But I think the Houston Rockets that might be revisited with the whole John wall swap, um, I don't really know how that solves the problem for the Lakers. I think you're still kind of dealing with a, someone who's making a lot of money and cannot score from the outside. Like you're, I don't understand why they would do that at all. Unless you're just, unless some, he's just more willing to potentially take even more of a backseat than Russ has been asked to take. I guess that would be the only reason. Uh, so via trade, I don't see a whole lot of options. It's interesting. Um, we've laid out the options, whether it be 
via buyout or trade. Uh, we talked about waiving. None of these options seem likely. And I think yeah. that's, that's a horrible place to be in for the Lakers. Um, and, and kind of a reason why I don't think we saw anything happen this trade deadline. We, we heard Genie Buss and, and the Lakers brass say, you know what, LeBron, you guys wanted this roster. You guys put this team together. Figure it out on the court. And mm-hmm. they, they were hopeful that they were going to be able to, but I think the writing was already on the wall. It wasn't going to happen. The problem is the situation's not really changing this offseason. And, and, and I say that just because it, the contract is so big and hard to move. But I mean, l- l- if I can add, like yeah. he is not suiting up on the Lakers next season. Absolutely let's, not. Like we, we want to make that clear that we do not think that just because, oh, this contract's too big to move, it's not going to happen. They're just going to stand pat. We right. both, there's zero chance that it happens there are just some serious hurdles that they have to overcome to move off of it. And they will do it. We just can't say definitively, like there are moves in the past that just make too much sense. Everyone expects them to happen. And then they happen. This is just there. It's a little bit more complex than that. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a great point and a good thing to bring up. Um, so, so we talk about rust being hard to move. Something that I think is worth noting, looking all the way back at Russ's stats, from when he won the MVP in 2016-2017, averaged 32 points a game and a triple-double. He averaged a triple-double that season and the following season and the following season after that, which if we just take a step back, that's absolutely crazy that for three seasons he was averaging a triple-double. At the end of that third season, he gets traded to Houston, so now he's sharing the court with James Harden. He goes 27 points a game, down to seven assists a game, eight rebounds a game, so he's no longer averaging a triple-double. Uh, but the ball is primarily in James Harden's hands. Then he gets moved to Washington after that. He goes back to averaging a triple-double and and a career high in assists, I might add, at 11.7 assists a game, 12 rebounds a game, uh, a career high in rebounds and assists. Now he was down to 22 points, but he was primarily playing with Bradley Beal. Um, Who led the league in scoring that year. Exactly. So, like, a lot of this, like, you, you look at Russ not counting this season, and he has been everything you've needed him to be. And and I think I was a little puzzled when they moved on from Washington um, because I think they had some injury between Russ and Beal last year that you kind of hoped, like, oh, we're going to get to see maybe a fully healthy team this season. Um, but he was moved to the Lakers because LeBron was able to make it happen. Russ said, hey, I want to go somewhere else. And, and here we are. And he's 18 points a game, seven assists a game, eight rebounds a game. So, like, we see that the ball's not in his hands as much. But that's when Russ thrives. He didn't score 22 points a game. Uh, he didn't score kind of a ton uh, his last season in Washington, but he was distributing like he had never done before. And so when the ball is in Russ's hands, he thrives. And so the problem is they put him in a system where he primarily has to play off ball. And that just is not how you most effectively use Russ. And so, I, I, I mean, looking at how effective he is, I can't help but think there is going to be a team who's willing to take on Russ for a year. Like there's no shot. He just gets bought out or released or traded for pennies and waived. Like, like he's going to be in the league next year. No doubt in my mind, it's just not going to be in a Lakers uniform. So Lauren, do we want to brainstorm a couple teams? I know you touched on OKC. That seems to make um, sense from a fan standpoint. I think some of those young guys in OKC could benefit from a one year veteran presence. Uh, Shay, Shay got that from a year with Chris Paul. Uh, we saw how, how much that has helped him kind of continue to grow. But you, you've added more young pieces. They're going to continue to add young pieces this year in the draft. Um, so a one-year rust um, OKC tour would not be the worst thing in my mind. Um, something else, I, I just kind of had this thought. You look at a um, – oh, I, I started thinking about the next team I wanted to, to talk about, and I completely blanked on my, my other – maybe it'll come to me. Anyway. So another team I want to talk about Russ going to is the Knicks. Um, and, and this seems to make a lot of sense um, for a number of reasons, but there are also a lot of questions involved. So Lauren, I'm going to, I'm going to throw it to you. And, and while you're talking, maybe I'll remember my other point of why I think um, OKC makes some sense for Russ, but, but let's talk about the Knicks a little bit. Um, yeah. Could you see this being a spot that Russ ends up next year? So I could see this being a, a, a spot for Russ. I, I want to say, I want to preface all of this by saying, 
Do I think Russ belongs in the league? hundred percent. No question. When I look at all the teams in the league, I can I truly outside of New York and the thunder cannot see. I don't see why adding Russ would make sense. Even if you're Sacramento, even if you're, you know, at the, like Orlando at the bottom of, I just don't see that happening. And to be honest with you, looking at New York, Culture wise, I think it's a good fit. Like New York, he would have the ball in his hands. He would be the guy in New York. Like, sorry, Julius Randle, but you would now have it. Well, you would have a guy to pair with Julius Randle. Um, but so like that makes sense. And and I mean, the lights are shining brightest in the garden. So like Russ, I think would flourish in that environment. Unfortunately, and my and this is my opinion, I am very much on the New York needs to focus on this young group. They need to move on from Julius Randle. They need to move on from Tibbs. I know he's beloved in New York, but adding Russ to that pushes out, in my opinion, it hinders the growth of some of these younger guys, and it pushes out uh, this perpetual state of mediocrity as they slowly, I mean, they're 12th in the East right now, like as they slowly get worse and worse and worse. And like, you're not, and granted the East is close. We talked about that last week, but adding Russ to that, what does that really give you in terms of a true ceiling? Like, what does that really get you? And so that's why I keep coming back to the Knicks. I could actually, I could absolutely see it happening because it's, a, it feels like a very Knicks type of move bringing in Russ, which is why I do say that, yes, this is a potential landing spot for him, but I don't think it's a good one. And I think it would be a poor move in the long term for New York. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Before I touch on New York, I, I remember my OKC thought. I can't mm-hmm. help but laugh at myself. As quickly as I remembered or thought of this, I, I equally forgot it. Um, but I think we talked about in the past how young guys and especially potential stars upcoming in the league get drafted to these small market teams and have trouble embracing the city or finding a home. And so some of these guys watching Russ for a year in probably – the most beloved place um, for him. Uh, and, and maybe maybe he doesn't love OKC as a city, but I think the fans and what that organization means to him obviously is a whole lot, uh, a whole lot more. And so I think seeing that for some of these other young guys and watching Russ kind of be back home, quote unquote, would be good for them in a way. You get to see how a city can really embrace a player after 13, 14 years of his career. So uh, that was that was my other point with OKC. The, the flip gears to New York. Yeah, I think it's a very Knicks move. But the, the problem is, I don't. We we talked about this in the past. We just don't know what the Knicks' direction is right now. And I think you're right that it needs to be shifted towards that young group. Um, but I don't know that they want to move off of Julius Randle yet. Whether they should is definitely a different argument. But I don't know that they're there yet. And so pairing him and Russ together, um, I think in their mind could give them something at something of a direction and obviously he's on an expiring deal so you kind of could get your one-year trial period and then be able to revisit after that um but that does just does smell like a a knicks move yeah Um, lauren there's one more team i want to throw at you unless you have another thought about the knicks or or thunder i i'm glad you said that because i actually do have a a quick thought about the thunder and i want to bring it back to like yes there are absolutely positives with the thunder in terms of them being around a guy that and that embraces the city. And I actually, I do think, I do think Russ likes OKC just given everything that he does for the city. And I think he loves it, but um, they can absolutely learn from that. And it would be huge and it would be good for OKC. Like they have a strong fan base, but to get someone like Russ back would be good for their fan base. Um, But when they had Chris Paul, they made it to the playoffs. Like OKC doesn't want to make it to the playoffs. They don't. And, and Russ will get them there. And, or, or maybe he may, okay. Maybe he won't. I can hear some people yelling. Maybe he won't, but Shay is outstanding and Russ is going to put up numbers. And so like, it's not, I can see them scratching that play in and kind of looking at it. And I just don't think that's where they need to be. Like if you're racking up all these picks, you're going to want one of them to give you that, uh, Imani Bates to give you that Paolo to give you somebody at the top to really like be the guy that changes things. And I think right now people are very high on Shea. People love Josh Giddy. He's not a Luka Doncic or neither of them are Luka. Neither of them are Ja. Neither of them are a Cade. Like that's just, 
I think a lot of people would agree with that. And so adding Russ to that mix, as much as I would love to see it, because I love seeing players go back to where they just, their home in my, like, I just don't think it's a good idea. Right. I, I, I think I'm with you there. And I don't think OKC goes down that route. Uh, I, I think that could be a final year of Russ's career kind of thing uh, if he's not playing for a contender. But yeah. my only my only slight pushback, definitely Russ is going to contribute to wins. He's not a rollover and tank kind of guy. Yes. Um, that being said, the only thing that wins for OKC contributes to is OKC's picks. And they have so many picks that <laughs> it might just not be the end of the world if they win 10 more games than they would have otherwise. So um, I, I, I'm with you. I don't think it, it happens. I, I think there are too many other factors that, that OKC and Russ both want. Um, but it, but definitely, definitely something interesting to kick around. Okay. The other team, though, that I want to throw at you, um, and I think this is interesting because I think the other players, when you look at, at this team, um, don't necessarily need to have the ball in their hands. I think Russ can be your primary ball handler, and you can have a lot of success here. Um, and so I'm, I'm interested to get your thoughts. Uh, and that's the Los Angeles Clippers staying in LA, <laughs> but moving to the other, the other locker room in, in that arena. And so you get Kawhi healthy, uh, Paul George obviously comes comes back healthy, and you have two great defending wings who do not need the ball in their hands uh, to be effective. And so you can get prime Russ distributing and attacking downhill in transition. Uh, when you have guys to go to like Kawhi and Paul George. So I think that's another um, possibility. Now, I don't know that the, the Clippers come to the Lakers and say, hey, I'm willing to play ball and make things easier for you uh, and take Russ off your hands. Um, but I think there's a world where they add Russ and shift gears a little bit. And so I don't, I don't know that they need Russ uh, to a fully healthy Clippers team to win a title, but I think they – can see that as a piece that can help them achieve that goal. So, Lauren, what are your thoughts about Russ on the Clippers? I see you uh, searching away on on one screen, so I'll try to vamp a little bit to give you. <laughs> no, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, so, just give, you your, give us your thoughts on that. So, I actually here's the thing. I love the idea of Russ going to the Clippers because it like you like you're switching sides. You're staying in LA, but you're like. <laughs> You're joining the rival team. But the reason that I've never even considered this as a possibility is because the, I mean, to start, I guess, positionally, the Russ Reggie Jackson beef is so, <laughs> so much. Like it is just so, there's so much there. And then to move down the line, <laughs> you've got the history with Kawhi and Paul George, with Kawhi saying, hey, Russ, do you want to come team up with me in LA? psych I'm taking your teammate Paul George come on out this way and let's leave Russ in the dust I'd rather have you anyway like there's so much beef that I don't know like if they can all let it go whatever I mean we've seen guys do that we've seen guys go join team we've seen Lance Stevenson and LeBron James on the same team before so if guys can put put these little moments behind like behind them you know what? Who cares? Go for it. Go for it. So do I think that that's the sole reason why he'll never end up on the Clippers? I don't want to say it's impossible. Nothing's impossible in the NBA, but um, that's a lot of beef in one place for him to have to just let go, just let go of. So I just want to throw that out there because I, I, in in a vacuum, taking the beef out of it, I love it. Go to the Clippers like go drop 45 on the Lakers, do it all. Like that would be priceless. But do I think he's going to be in a hurry to share a backcourt with Reggie Jackson and say, Hey, to Kawhi and PG. I just don't know. I don't know. Right. I'm with you. Uh, it is, it is a lot to throw at these guys with all the history there or poor Russ to have to go to Paul George and be like, Hey, the pass is the pass. No worries. Is I just don't. I just can't see him doing that. Exactly. I that's cannot see him being. Yeah, that's not him. And so, like, oh god. I. I mean, I've thought of so many like 
different could we see him somehow wind up in Philadelphia like what teams could he join to try it but no like there's the Embiid history like what teams could he try to pair up just in terms of talent like with Boston Boston kind of needs to add more talent they need to keep raising that ceiling could Russ be an option there like do I see Russ being a culture fit in Boston no 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 so like I just I truly I don't know yeah, I mean, trying to just scroll through the standings and find a fit is definitely tough. It uh, is tough. The, the Raptors, maybe, but I don't, I don't know that that makes a ton of sense. I think they like. I think it'd got. be honestly. I think it would be so fun, but yeah, I don't think that they would do it. Right. So, so it's just I don't know. Lot, lots to play out with Russ. It's, it's a lot of fun. I can't help but feel for him. I, I yeah, I feel for him too. the short end of the stick here in LA. The, the things people are yelling at him and, and his family are, are definitely probably over the line. And so I definitely over the line. Yeah. I, I just, sometimes the narratives that are stuck on players are just, it's so brutal to just sit and watch because it's unfair. And like, yeah, I mean, we've seen it. We've seen it with Jimmy Butler. We've seen it with Carmelo Anthony. And like, I think there are somewhat similar situ or like there are similarities. And right. I just, it's painful. It's very painful to watch. But Russ is the type of guy that, like you said, you give him the ball, you get out of the way, he's going to give you crazy numbers. So I hope he goes somewhere. I don't know where it's going to be, but just go do your thing. You'll find a spot and just, just keep it moving. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, all right. So let's let's shift gears just a little bit. I know we're we're getting close here to wrapping up, but I do want to talk about the Western Conference right now. We've got um, kind of a tight little race uh, in the the four, five, six matchup between Utah, Dallas, and and Denver. Um, a game and a half separates them right now. Utah and Dallas both have forty wins, but Utah right now only has twenty four losses. So uh, the loss column obviously is where you kind of keep your eyes. Uh, because that's where teams separate each other right now. There's just there's enough to play that there's really no clear way to tell where this is going. So I want to talk a little bit about that race, but I also want to talk about um, potential playoff matchups. Um, so before we dive into this this little four five six race, Lauren, let's talk about some of these other teams. Let's let's talk about the Warriors. Um, I think we've talked all season thinking that Phoenix and Golden State are your two true West contenders. And I think that's kind of the consensus around the league right now. Um, any NBA fan says those are your two teams that have a shot. Um, but Lauren, do you are, you are you as afraid of the Warriors this year as maybe, I don't want to say in some years past, because that implies Kevin Durant, but um, – with the injury concerns that they've had this year and knowing how, how many miles these guys have on them, does that at all change the way you view the Warriors uh, coming up in the playoffs? Yeah. So it, it does, it does affect how I view them because while Draymond is coming back and while it looks like James Wiseman is even nearing uh, a comeback, I don't know what, how they're going to look. And like James Wiseman is young, but is he, he's been out for a long time. Is he out of shape? Is he, does he need some time to get the rust off? Does Draymond have injuries that are nagging at him? Does Clay Thompson really find his groove? Come, like you've got so many questions right now, but at the same time, make no mistake. They've got Steph Curry. Like you cannot underestimate them, but right now there are enough questions around golden state as to like, well, I just said as to what they are, but like to where I'm not viewing them as the favorite to come out of the West and I'm not as, as intimidated by them as, as say Phoenix. Right. No, I think, I think you touched on a lot of things right now. You look at Wiseman and, and Clay Thompson, even I think those are two guys that just for whatever reasons have not been able to stay healthy and stay on the court. And, and I think we all hope that Clay kind of gets back and he's been back a few games now and we've got 20 games to go over the course of the rest of the season. Uh, so we're going to see kind of what this team looks like. Uh, I think they're going to get a little rev up period where everybody's hitting the court and playing together. Um, but I don't know that they're going to be pushing it hundred percent either, unless they're looking at a certain matchup first round. But um, I, I don't, I just something about this Warriors team does not feel as lethal anymore. And I don't, I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on what that one thing is. Um, and I've said that 
as about LeBron in the past, back to back years when he was in the East, finals run after finals run. I would always say, oh, this is the year he just something doesn't feel right. Whether it was the Atlanta Hawks or the Indiana Pacers team with Paul George, is like they've got a deep enough team to bounce LeBron, and then sure enough, LeBron would put them away like it was nobody's business. Um, it was never really a competition, and on to his next finals he would go. So I've said these same types of things about LeBron, and we could see him, or we could see the Warriors in this case, shift gears the same way LeBron does when it hits playoff time because they only have one goal, uh, and, and that's to win a championship. So um, lots, of, lots to play out. I, I'm mixed. I, I obviously do not want to face them at all in the first round, um, but my feelings just... I, I don't fear them like I do the sun. Maybe that's very naive, um, but but that's just kind of where I'm at. So, Lauren, I want to talk about another team, uh, and that's the two seed right now. They're up half a game, uh, tied in the loss column with the Warriors, but ahead by half a game, one win. That's the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, a lot of young talent. They have just been absolutely killing it all season. I think before we talk about them, something that's interesting to talk about, you look at the home and away record for the Suns, the Suns obviously have the best record in um, the West. They're 28 and seven at home, 24 and six on the road. So like wherever they play, they just take care of business. And then the rest of the team, the Warriors, the Jazz, the Mavs, the Nuggets, all have really good home records. But then they're all two to three games above 500 on the road. And so it just like you can't sit here and say that some of these teams just take care of business on the road and take care of business at home. Really, only Phoenix is doing that except for the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are right there, and they are they're 10 games above 500 on the road. They're 13 above 500 at home. Like, they're not as good as the Suns. They're, they're eight games back. And so, like, you sit here and say, oh, well, they can't be killing it like the Suns are. Um, but they're not as or, – or they're more balanced as a team. Like, you just see them winning the games that they're supposed to. Um, and, and I don't – it's just – they're, they're an exciting team to watch. Uh, mm-hmm. The Warriors seem to only win at home, and that's that's not true. They're 17 and 15 on the road. But, like, they're just they're just an average, slightly above 500 team on the road, which I think is what you expect of most playoff teams. Like, they should win more than they should lose on the road. Um, but the Grizzlies and Suns are well above 500, I guess, is the, is the point I'm making. And so I just – there's a lot to look at this team and say, I, I can't point to a flaw. Uh, and I guess maybe you could say it's their youth, but they've just played so well and they've been so exciting to watch. So, Lauren, talk to me about, about the Grizzlies and, and how you how you view them going into the playoffs. Yeah, it's it's interesting because with Memphis, uh, what is their true ceiling? I mean, Jaw is unbelievable, and they have so much talent on that team. Jaron Jackson is having a very good year, uh, especially defensively. Like he, I mean, they are a solid team. However... I do think it's going to be a big matchup thing for them. I mean, they don't have an answer for Luca, but Jaw can probably match him. Well, I mean, Matt, okay, probably match him or at least get close. Right. Uh, Those guys are of, both going to get there. Yes, they're going to get theirs, but they can't slow down Luca. And it's not just like, oh, Luca's going to get his in terms of the scoring. Like, he's so surgical against Memphis. He just slices through their defense and opens things up. And so, like, I don't want to say Dallas over Memphis in five. Like, I would not say that. But right now with Memphis, there are so many questions. So, I don't know. I don't know how, like, I do think it's going to be very matchup-based for them. And I think that there are certain teams, like, they go up against Utah. I'm sorry. I have no faith in Utah, if you can't tell right now. But, and if people can't tell from my tweets, but I have, I just, I don't see it. And so some of these teams like Memphis and, and even Dallas, like in terms of just having the camaraderie and the chemistry and like just a very clear formula, not that Utah doesn't have a clear formula, but like, I think there's just more, more things going on in Utah than, than some might realize. Uh, but some of these other teams that just have such top, like crazy talent, like John Luca, like, I, I, I don't feel confident with the jazz, but going back to Memphis, I just, I do think it's going to be a little bit matchup based for them. I, I would be very interested to see them get the nuggets. I don't know that they're going to get them first round. Maybe they do. There is a possibility of that happening, but 
a Denver Memphis series, I think would be very fascinating just given Jokic, but also, like I said, Jaron's having a good defensive year. So, uh, I don't know Memphis. That's the, that's what I keep coming back to. What's our true ceiling? I don't know, but this is their year to prove it. They haven't done it in the past, but like Tim McMahon wrote earlier, they believe that they can do it. They're ready to do it. And their record, like you just said, proves that there's no reason that they shouldn't be able to do it. So uh, I can't wait to see them come playoff time, but again, I think it's a lot of it's going to come down to the matchup. Yeah. I, I think it's so weird for Memphis. I think they could get, swept and obviously would feel disappointed swept (laughs) i i just i'm trying to lay lay the groundwork for the fact that they've already had a successful season and obviously the metric for what you define as a successful season changes once you get to the playoffs yeah you look at matchups you look at your body of work and you say okay i now expect us to win a series or or whatever it may be Um, i think that's the expectation for Mavs fans this year is to win a series but that can change real quick uh, at, at, if we do win that first series. Depending on what else happens in the league, you may say, oh, my God, we were so dominant in the first series. I now expect us to win another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so there, there are so many factors that play into what your expectations are. Um, so I don't want to sit here and say, like, Memphis, Memphis should be happy getting swept in the first round. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying they're going to walk away from this season gaining a lot of valuable things. And that in itself will be successful or is successful because it's all about the long-term right now. These guys are so young. I think that's what's going to hold them back. Um, And so gaining that experience is huge for them. So um, I think if they end up in the second seed, they're playing a play-in team the first round, whether it be the Lakers, I kind of love that matchup. I would love that. Oh, that would be a lot of fun. Oh my God. Could you imagine? That would be, that would be a lot of fun. I don't, I don't think the Lakers are going to get out of the play-in by any means. Um, It's probably going to be the Timberwolves and Clippers. Uh, but if, if you look at the Grizzlies versus one of those teams and say, I, I don't know what the health of the Clippers are going to look like. I think, I think it's safe to say Kawhi is not going to play this season at all, but Paul George comes back and that's a different Clippers team than what we've been seeing. So I don't know how to judge them. Uh, the Timberwolves, another young team that doesn't have a lot of playoff um, experience. Um, so, so if they play a team like the Nuggets, that's a real, what are you made of series? You get to see, against another team with a proven MVP star, um, what you can do in the playoffs. And so uh, a Grizzlies-Nuggets first-round matchup is going to tell you a lot more about the Grizzlies than if they play, say, the Timberwolves, beat the Timberwolves in five or six, and then go and lose to the Suns or Warriors round two in five or six. And then um, I just I, I worry that we're going to see the Grizzlies beat a team that's clearly inferior and then lose to a team second round like the Warriors who's probably superior to them. And then we walk away still not really know, knowing what they're made of. And, and I, I think that's the worst case for them. And, and there's really truly no worst case because the playoff experience alone is so huge for them. And the city right now around jaw, the buzz around jaw, I, the more playoff games we can watch him in. I think we're all on board for that as mm-hmm. long as it's not at the detriment to your own team. Right. But, but, I just don't want them to walk away and say, oh, well, you beat the Timberwolves because you should have beaten the Timberwolves, and then you lost to the Warriors because you should have lost to the Warriors. Like, I want to see Ja going toe-to-toe with Steph or Chris Paul or Jokic or Luka. Like, pick your star of the other team and just, like, I want to see what Ja's made of and what this Grizzlies team's made of. And I think you only get that going up in as many of these tough, true battles as you can go. So... I don't know what it's going to look like for Ja. I don't know what it's going to look like for the Grizzlies. I don't know that I'm afraid of them, um, but they're yeah. hell, hell of a lot of fun to watch. So, yeah, for Dallas, for Dallas, I kind of alluded to it before, but I, if you're Dallas, I'm not afraid of them. If like, I don't, I, I don't want to say if you're this team, you absolutely should be afraid of them. But um, all I know is is Dallas right now, just because I I watch them so closely. I don't want to speak for another team. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be matchup based. I would love to see Mem- like a Memphis Dallas series. I think it would be spectacular. I really, really do because you've got the Desmond Bain thing. You've got Luca versus jaw has been a conversation all year. I mean, it would be spectacular, but Denver, I mean, Denver Memphis is like very tough. Like they're just completely different, completely right. different. 
Uh, so I think I'm going to enjoy, everybody's going to enjoy whoever Memphis ends up going up against because it's going to be jaw. Like you said, what are you made of? Can you finally talk the talk that you've been talking all season? Uh, and, and let's, I mean, put your money where your mouth is. And I, I mean, I think they'll do it. We'll just got to see. Absolutely. Lauren, we, in talking about the, the Grizzlies and the Warriors, we kind of talked about that four, five, six race. And, and obviously a game and a half separates them. Things change on a nightly basis. Um, so over the last 20 or so games of the season, um, we'll, we'll be keeping an eye on that. Uh, and before we go, we've got to talk about the Suns. Uh, we, they're the clear favorite out of the West right now. Um, they don't really seem to be phased by anybody, but um, here we are wondering, do they have enough to get them there? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I don't want to say the Chris Paul curse because you can't point to something that Chris Paul's done that, that has been the reason they haven't made it um, all the way and, and won a championship. Giannis absolutely took over the last few moments in a couple games that really decided the, the finals last year. Um, but whatever it may be, you just look at this Suns team. And I don't know. I can't point to a weakness. I can't point to something that says that's where you beat the Suns. Uh, the only the only way I can do that is if I have a Giannis. And shit, I'm the Dallas Mavericks and I have Luka. But Giannis also has a Drew Holiday and a Chris Middleton. And a, uh, he doesn't have Brooke Lopez this year. But a, a other surrounding cast of all-stars that, that make it incredibly difficult. And so it's... It, so tough in the West. I can't pick a team um, to say you're going to go beat the Suns because I don't yeah. know that the Warriors can do it. I don't know that anybody else can do it. Um, they they just scare the daylights out of me. Lauren, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean they're getting Devin Booker last, or, or they're getting Devin Booker back tonight. He's been out, I think, the last four games, I believe, and yet their win percentage on the year is eighty percent. They have won eighty percent of their games. Behind them, the closest is Memphis at 67 in the entire league, not in the West, in the entire league. The next closest is Memphis at 67. And then you have Miami and Golden State tied at 66.7. So that puts it in a numbers perspective of how dominant of a season the Phoenix Suns are having. So right now, like you said, can't point out a weakness. They've got everything going for them. They even made solid additions at the trade deadline, which were small ones, very small ones, but solid additions. They've got the leadership. They've got the star talent. Like you brought your guys back. This is exactly why you do it. So right now, I think anyone that's underestimating Phoenix, because they're maybe not one of the more flashy in your opinion, maybe I, I, I didn't get flashy, but uh, it would be naive to underestimate them. Absolutely. Well, alrighty. That is going to bring us to a close of another edition of the gunshot. Thanks again for joining us. We will be back as the NBA season continues to wind down before we hit the playoffs. We're looking forward to everything else. Um, So feel free to reach out to us on Twitter uh, and we will be back soon. Thanks for listening. You're listening to the gunshot. Come join us as Grant and Lauren Gunn take you around the league, talking all things NBA with a focus on the Dallas Mavericks. Join us as we break down the latest Woj bombs, share trade predictions, and analyze everything NBA.